Let's begin by talking about trouble. We've talked about trouble before in the book of Exodus. We'll talk about trouble again in the book of Exodus, and we'll talk about it today as well. When is the last time you found yourself in deep trouble? Those were words, of course, that haunted us when our parents said that to us. You are in big trouble now. Or if it wasn't our parents, it was our brothers or sisters who said such encouraging words to us. We know that there are a variety of ways that we can get in trouble. Uh, we can get in trouble, of course, by something that we do wrong ourselves. Circumstances can get us into trouble. Maybe we caused it. Maybe we didn't. We can have financial troubles. We can have marital troubles. We can have troubles with our parents or troubles with our children. A trouble tracking device has apparently grown inside of us. It is a trouble magnet, and if we try to hide from trouble, the trouble tracking device tracks us down and brings us trouble, and we then on our own likewise seek out trouble also. Trouble is all around. Israel is in trouble again. But this time, The trouble is unlike other times. So in the past, of course, the trouble was mostly with the Egyptians. All sorts of troubles for many of the early chapters of Exodus with the Egyptians. We get out of Egypt, and then there's a different kind of trouble. And that was the trouble, of course, of the wilderness. It was a trouble that consisted of not having enough food and enough water along the way. So what is the source now of Israel's trouble? Well, let's, let's answer, in the first place, I want to answer that question with the obvious answer. The obvious answer is given to us in the section that I read from chapter 23. 20, 23 addresses trouble ahead for the Israelites. You are going to have a difficult time in front of you, in particular because of your enemies, namely the inhabitants of the land that God has promised to them and is in the process of giving them. The Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hevites, Jebusites. Those are problems, trouble spots for you. Troubles ahead for Israel, and it is dangerous, it is daunting, and it is clear even if not yet experienced by them from those particular groups as they tried to settle the land. Israel has trouble ahead, but Israel has present trouble as well. For that now, flip back to Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments have been spoken by God. Israel has just received what is, what is perhaps the greatest gift of a law ever given to a people to govern conduct and to say how they should walk in Him. And yet, and yet, Israel doesn't celebrate They don't rejoice. They don't say, great, this is awesome. We've now got the law of God. There are no high fives. There are no fist bumps. There are no shoulder bumps. There's nothing. There's no hugs. They don't say, great, we've got these Ten Commandments. Can somebody figure out a way to make some plaques of the Ten Commandments? We'll get them up on our schools, put them in our courthouses. Find us an engraver to get these things up and spread out. In fact, find somebody who can cross-stitch, and let's put them up on the tents. Inside of our tents, we'll put up these ten laws, these ten words that God has given to us. And they certainly don't sit down and say, well, great, that's ten. 
But let's now spend some time figuring out the application of those and make it even tougher. So they don't say, great, we got 10, would you give us the Book of the Covenant as well? Because that's what we really need, more laws on top of these 10 that you have given to us. Now, we know Scripture. We know that later in Scripture, David is going to say, I delight in the law of God. He's going to write really long psalms about delighting in the law. But Israel doesn't delight in the law of God, at least not right now. Last week, we, uh, I had us open the worship service with a quote from Psalm 73 as a call to worship. Asaph is able to say in Psalm 73 that the nearness of God is my good. Well, Israel doesn't feel like the nearness of God is their good. In fact, the nearness of God reveals this law that comes from God, and it's anything but good, or it may be at least good in some way, but it's actually terrifying for them. Now, remember, they had gotten ready for this. They had been heading to this place. This was the whole idea. Get out of Egypt so you can serve God in the wilderness, so you can worship God in the wilderness. So, so the whole journey has been preparing for this particular time when they finally come to Sinai. Remember the preparation that is required of them, three days of preparation. Get your clothes, take some time, put on your best, get your clothes washed at least, abstain from some things, and then prepare to come to me. And remember as well that God established for them a boundary. Here's the line. Don't cross this line at the base of the mountain, lest you cross that line and you be consumed. Moses, he can cross. You can't cross. The priests, they can cross. You can't cross. And one can imagine that the Israelites were, to use the word, excited about this. One can imagine that there was probably some clamoring to get right on the border, to get as close to what was about to happen as you possibly could. We've all experienced this, right? To get the best seat for the fireworks show. They want to see what's going to be happening. They've been waiting all of this time, and now, exposed to this manifestation of God, His voice, His law, His holiness, and all of the the thunder and flashes of lightning and trumpet and mountain smoking and earth shaking that is accompanying all this, their response is, we're in trouble. We're going to die. They're terrified. And the flight response kicks in. Now, we can talk about people being petrified. We can talk about people being paralyzed by fear. But at least the flight response is there they got to get away. God has said this. He's declared this. I've got to get away. I've got to get away from him. I've got to get away from his law. I've got to get away from this mountain. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament reflects on this event and says this, a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken, for they could not endure the order that was given. You want to hear from God? Maybe not. God has spoken. He's revealed at least part of himself. God has spoken the truth. He has given the law. And Israel can't handle the truth. 
even the angel that is deployed for their guard in chapter 23 isn't super comforting. Listen to his voice, do everything that he says, for he will not pardon. Your transgression, well, those, those are some sobering words, will not pardon my transgression? Now, listen, that's the first thing Israel needs to know about this angel. There's going to be a lot of the story to come, a lot of the story to come in Exodus where they're going to have to be confronted by this. So that word isn't the end of the story as it relates to this angel, but it's the first thing they need to hear. Don't mess with the angel. Don't take advantage of the angel. Don't don't assume that the angel, when you transgress, when you complain about something, is going to pat you on the head and say, well, Israelites will be Israelites. They're awful words. And all of the words are awful words because what is dawning on Israel is that, you know what, we don't need the Egyptians, we don't need the wilderness, and for that matter, we don't need the upcoming, the trouble-ahead Canaanites to find trouble. We actually carry trouble within us, and as long as God is with us, we're in deeper trouble. This God, this giving of the law has undressed us, it has peeled us, it has pierced us, it has stripped us, it has exposed us, it has cut us open, and what it has revealed is not pretty. It's revealed the depth of our sin, our ugliness of our hearts and our lives. So that which is good and holy and righteous, namely the law of God, exposed and increased our sin. And that sin killed us. That's what we talked about last week with Romans chapter 7. And that's what they are experiencing right here in these few verses that follow immediately on the giving of the Ten Commandments. That's trouble. And when you're in trouble, you need help. Israel needs help. The situation is intolerable. It's nice to think, it would be comforting for all of us to think that being in the presence of God would be great, it would be fantastic, it would be beautiful, it would be peaceful. But for Israel, it is in fact unsustainable. Things cannot continue like this. The raw presence of God I'm saying the raw presence of God, but do realize that even as we speak that way about this, this was a mitigated presence of God. It wasn't the full revealing of His glory. They weren't up on the top of the mountain. They were at the base of the mountain. And not all of His glory was on display right at that particular moment. But enough of it was there that they learned that this was too much for them. God knew it. God knew that this would be an overwhelming experience for them, but they needed to learn. What they needed to learn is that they needed a mediated presence of God. What they needed to learn is that they weren't in a position in and of themselves to go bursting into the presence of God 
because you can't look at the sun. You can't just stand there and say, hey, light is great. I'm going to spend the day looking at the sun because you get blinded. You can't even look at the sun when it's an eclipse, when there's something there. And before Israel, there was something there. There was a cloud. There was a mountain. There was a border. It was an eclipse of the glory of God. But even so, even with that limited revelation of the glory of God, it was too much for them. Israel and God cannot dwell together unmediated or it will destroy Israel. Now, God, and we know this from the story of the entire book of Exodus, we're reading the whole thing as it's taking place, God had already appointed a mediator, Moses, for Israel. And now Israel turns around and sees really the need for Moses to be just that. God has appointed him, and now Israel confirms the appointment and says, yes, we we agree. He's going to be our mediator. He has got to go before you. Don't let God speak to us, is what they say to Moses, lest we die. You go. You talk to God. Someone has to bridge, bridge the gap between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, between the creatureliness of man and the awesome creator God. And Moses is the man. He will mediate this covenant. He will represent both man, Israel, and God. And he will speak on behalf of God to the people. He will convey to the people the book of the covenant. Apparently, they were within earshot, at least, of the giving of the Ten Commandments. But he'll read for them the book of the covenant in chapter 24. There's help, and that is help in this trouble to have Moses in that role, but there's more. Because when you're in trouble, it's great to have someone to protect you, to defend you, and to guard you. It is a gift. And so God dispatches this guarding angel. Now, this is not the first time that we've seen this angel. Verse 20 said in chapter 23, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I've prepared. Actually, you don't have to turn there. I'll just turn there for us. In chapter 14, when the people come out of Egypt and they are at the Red Sea but have not yet crossed the Red Sea, they know the Egyptians are coming after them. They're afraid about that. And we read in verse 19 of chapter 14, Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And there's a lot of overlap here between angel and cloud. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But the angel's there. The angel's been leading them. And now we read of this angel again being dispatched, not only to have taken them to the point of Sinai, not only to have gotten them out of Egypt, 
but to carry them forward, to carry them into this land that God is giving to them. Now, think for a moment of the great verse that we've talked a lot about in chapter 19, wherein God describes Israel as his treasured possession. And what do you do with a treasured possession? Well, one of the things you do with it is you guard it. You protect that which is treasured to you. And that is what God is doing here. That is the reason to send a guarding angel to protect that which God considers to be his treasured possession. God guards what he loves. He loves Israel. He loves you. And he guards and protects it. And whether the trouble is of our own making, whether the trouble is circumstantial, or whether the trouble is with enemies, the guard is there. The guard is there to serve for our protection. He's posted. He's on duty. He's on guard. And he who watches over Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. The verse that comes right before that in Psalm 121 is, where does our help come from? And the answer is, our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When you're in trouble, you need help. Now, if you're paying close attention, paying close attention to the book of Exodus, the things that I just read and of which we have just spoken, then you should be a little bit, of, a little bit confused right now confused because of a conflation of ideas and of people and things. Who watches over Israel? Does the Lord watch over Israel? Does the angel watch over Israel? Does the Lord watch over Israel through the angel? Why does this angel seem to require the same type of obedience as does the Lord to his own law? Verses 21 and 22 require that. Pay careful attention to him. Obey his voice. Do not rebel against him. Verse 22. But if you carefully obey his voice, why do the pronouns start to get mixed up in chapter 23? between I will and he will. So, for example, continuing on in verse 22, but if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, whose voice? Who are we obeying here? The angel or God or both? Who are we supposed to obey? What does it mean when it says in verse 21, for my name is in him? Why is this angel so similar in function and in place to the cloud that is described back in chapter 14? What's going behind the Israelites? What's going in front of the Israelites? Is the cloud leading them or is the angel leading them? What's protecting them from the Egyptians? Is it the angel or the cloud? Or it doesn't take much imagination to look up in the clouds and find angels, right? You just sit up and look at them. That looks like an angel. What is going on 
with a close affiliation between these two things. Is, is it both of them? Isn't this kind of help overkill? We got it. We got it. Enough helpers are involved in watching over Israel. What do you say to all that? Alice, I'm about to make a jump, and I'm going to explain it as I go. Christian, you have been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He who watches over you and helps you when you are in trouble is the same one who watched over Israel and helped Israel when Israel was in trouble. The God, who is one in three, watches over you, and he watched over Israel as well. John 14. You can look in your bulletin or you can turn with it again to, with me to John chapter 14. I want you to hear John 14 now and hear it with reference to what's happening with Israel at this particular point. The blood of the covenant is just about to be shed in John chapter 14. The blood of the covenant in Exodus will be shed in chapter 24. We're on the eve of the shedding of the blood of the covenant in both places. That's why when you read John 14, it sounds a lot like what's happening in Exodus. The themes are exactly the same. Listen again to the triune protection that is expressed in John chapter 14, verse 15 and following. If you love me and keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's Exodus language. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you'll see me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That'll get you tied up in knots. You hear all of the work, all of the affection, all of the guarding, and all of the provision of the triune God for his people, for his new covenant people. Who helps you? God the Father, or God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? Who helps Israel? A voice speaks from heaven and declares the law of God, revealing the holiness of God. It is the voice of the Father who speaks. An angel is sent before the people to guard them, to lead them into a land. The angel of the Lord encamps around Israel. Jesus Christ went before the Israelites. If you doubt that I'm making this connection, I didn't make it. Paul made it. Read 1 Corinthians 10. 
who goes before the Israelites? First Corinthians 10, you know what First Corinthians 10 says goes before the Israelites? You won't even find it in Exodus. A rock, a spiritual rock travels before the Israelites in First Corinthians 10. You go back and try and look. Where's the spiritual rock following them? I see striking rocks. I, 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 I'm sure they're in the midst of rocks. A spiritual rock is going before them. The rock is Christ. When they offend, they offend Christ. Christ is going before the people, the Israelites. There's a cloud as well. That cloud will come to take up residence within the tabernacle and subsequently within the temple. Who dwells in you? Who tabernacles inside of you? Who makes you his dwelling place? The Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit watched over and led Israel. And he's taking us home. He was taking Israel home. All of this is a Psalm 23 story. We're, we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, but we're going to the dwelling place of God forever. That's where we're being led, to that place. And that's the story of the Israelites. They're going to the home that God has prepared for them, but we know in their best reflections and in the reflections looking back on them that even that land, however good it was, however much it flowed with milk and honey, was only a foretaste. They were waiting for another country whose builder and architect is God. And so, when Jesus wants to encourage the disciples on the eve of his death, What he says is, I'm going to take you home. I'm not just taking you here to Jerusalem. I'm going to take you home, and I'm going to the place to prepare it for you. I am going to get a home ready for you, and I'm going to take you there. And on the way, while you're pilgrims, while you're sojourners traveling through the wilderness, while you are exiles living in a land that is not your own, what does he want from us? Well, unsurprisingly, what he wants from us in John chapter 14 is exactly what he wants from us in Exodus. He wants the same thing. John chapter 14, if you've still got it open, what does he want? What's the first thing he says? Believe in God. Believe also in me. Direct your faith this direction. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, if you're hearing John 14 in light of the Exodus, which is, of course, what it's reflecting on, and it's the the fulfillment of this prototypical event that's going on in Exodus, then when you hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, then you go, wait a minute, now it makes sense, the way. He's the one who is going to lead us home. He's the truth. He's the one who is both fulfilling the law that has been given by his Father, speaking the truth to us. He can handle the truth. And the life, the one who says, you're not going to die. You're not going to die in the presence of God. Secondly, what does he want? Seek my help. Seek my help. 
I want you to know that you need help, and therefore pray. Therefore seek, and I'm ready to give you help. What does he want? Love me and keep my commands. What does he want? John 13, new commandment I give to you. Love your neighbor. Same things. He wants exactly the same things when you see this symmetry that goes on in Scripture. This for you should be strengthening of your faith. The triune God has been at work that way throughout history. And he's at work that way in your lives now. Now, I didn't comment a lot on this, but I trust that you picked it up. And I hope that you can reflect on it. Moses, the people are afraid. And Moses says, don't fear. Don't fear. God's not going to kill you. He's doing this to put the fear of God in you. That's, that's kind of interesting. Don't, don't, be, don't be paralyzed by fear. Don't be debilitated by this fear. Be motivated by a true fear of this God who is both one who speaks authoritatively to you and guards you at exactly the same time. Don't be afraid. I'm just putting the fear of God in you. Jesus says it a little bit differently, but with the same emphasis, because Jesus now speaks with new covenant clarity as the one to whom all of this pointed The mystery being clarified right before their eyes says, listen, in this world, just like the Israelites, you are going to have trouble. You're going to find yourself in hot water all of the time. There's no choice. There's no escape from trouble in a sinful world. I leave you my peace. In fact, I leave you another. I leave you the helper when you're in trouble. And I'll take you home. Bank on it. And he closes with this. Here Jesus, better than Moses, the mediator who speaks and functions better than Moses, say, because that's all true, Because I love you. Because I've poured out my spirit, the helper, upon you. Because I've left you my peace. Because I'm going to take you home. Let not your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Let's pray.